even if you were to start with this, you know, amazing image, like, you know, oh, this is a great photograph, and it would end up being, like, the, the painting takes its path, and you just, and I don't want to be cliche about it, but again, you have to sort of, you're following that other road, and eventually, you know, that whatever initial initially sort of got your attention, that gets thrown aside, and you have to somehow sort of find a place where the painting works on its own. I sort of got over, I, I, I sort of got sick of trying to get over the initial, you know, photograph. <laughs> so I, I, I've started to like not have that sort of precious thing that would be there that I would want to try to get to. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 208th episode, the first of the new year, David Gracie joins me from Lincoln, Nebraska. We talk all about painting, various portraits and still lives and landscapes and how he combines all of these different processes and different looks and you know responding to stimuli from his day to day. We talk all about that in the interview coming up. So we hope that you stay tuned for that again. We are starting a new year, so there's plenty of new things at Studio Break. So be sure and follow us on social media to make sure that you stay up to date. If you're checking out Studio Break for the first time, I want to let you know what you're in for. Again, I invite artists from all over to come on. We talk all about their work, their experiences, their upbringing, all sorts of great stuff. And we share these interviews right on StudioBreak.com. Again, you can listen to the interviews right there in the default player, or you can just hit that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork as well as links to their website so you can find out more information about them. As I was noting before, we are in a bunch of social media formats, so please be sure and like our Facebook page. We're sharing all sorts of interviews there. You can also be sure and follow us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Again, be sure to say hello. There's some various conversations going on there, so we like to hear from listeners. Again, there's a recent post about cleaning palettes, which sparked a lot of interest, so again, say hello there. I've also been doing a number of pre-video streaming interviews through Instagram you know, kind of a precursor to the interview before the interview. And so if you want to follow along and ask questions there, again, had some interest this last week with a couple of interviews. So be sure and check that out and keep your eyes peeled. Just a reminder, too, for new listeners, we do have a big archive on studiobreak.com, so you can definitely go back and check out some of the podcasts that you might have missed out on, and I would definitely recommend that. Again, we recently had on Erica B. Hess, who also does the I Like Your Work podcast, Fantastic Painter, great discussion, so be sure and check episodes like that out. I do apologize that it's been a little bit of a pause, but we've got plenty of podcasts coming up for the year. Again, I've been busy making new paintings and getting all active in the studio so it's a very exciting start to the new year but everyone is doing well and without any further ado here is that interview with david gracie stay tuned welcome to studio break david gracie how are you doing today i'm doing well Again, great to Thank have you. you on. Oh, gosh. See, we can talk over each other. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, where, where are you joining me from today? I know, again, we have a wonderful short video <laughs> on Instagram that breaks it down. But where, where are we speaking with you from today? I am in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Everybody's been there, right? Abs well, I was going to say most people will say they've driven through there. Um, yeah. But 
I have been there and it's lovely. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you teach out there, right? I do. I teach at uh, Nebraska Wesleyan university. This is, um, actually would be my 15th year, but I'm, I'm lucky enough to be on sabbatical. Oh, cool. Cool. So now I definitely don't feel bad about taking your time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, where did you grow up? Did you say that you had grown up out there or was it somewhere else? I think on the East coast. I grew up in, uh, in Baltimore. Okay. Baltimore County, like right outside of the city. So there's a, yeah, there's a County and there's a city. So I lived there until I was 18. My Mom ended up moving to Washington State, where my brother lives, and uh, after that, you now I, I went to college and then sort of moved from there. But did you did you always draw as a kid and paint as a kid? I don't. Again, it's interesting to think about the differences people have with this stuff because some people are encouraged at a very young age, some people are not. It's always just kind of interesting. I did draw when I was a kid. I was definitely encouraged by my father, and also I would say my mother. My mom was a uh, English teacher, a high school English teacher. My dad was a, a banker, then he became um, a real estate appraiser. But he went to the Maryland Institute College of Art and for design. And he always sort of, even though he ended up not becoming a designer, he always credited his schooling for you know the different paths his his life took. So mm-hmm. my dad, my father wasn't scared, you know, in the sense of uh, sort of pushing me towards doing art. Were there any other interesting tangents? You know, I would imagine maybe, I don't know, being in a metal band, ska band, you know, <laughs> DJ. That's, that's a, that's, <laughs> well, that was a, that was a kind of a big gap for me. My, my sister is she went to school for opera oh, wow. <laughs> and then she, well, she went to the, the Baltimore school for the arts and then she went to college for musical theater. I don't know where that came from. I think it probably came from my stepmother, but, uh, mm-hmm. I played lacrosse. That was sort of a big part of my childhood. So like sports, which is kind of funny because usually art and sports don't really, right. <laughs> you know, literally there's a, there's a podcast called bet at sports. So I'm sure you know. of. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I played lacrosse and I, I loved I loved drawing. I kind of fell out of it just like when I was like late in my middle school years and then into high school because you know I was getting in trouble and I think I I came back to it in the middle of my high school years to kind of put things back together. It, I mean I don't I I don't like using the term like therapeutic, but it was a way to kind of find meaning and something that seemed more permanent than all the chaos that was surrounding me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things too, like where I don't know if you were inclined at math. I was not a, a good mathematician. <laughs> so I, I don't know. There's something about like being able to put time into something, something that kind of arrives as opposed to you just can hit a free throw or something. Absolutely. Well, I think it, it was something that, you know, that was outside of myself that, you know, that I could, that would, would, would be there, you know, and it would, it would, you know, and it was very direct. I mean, drawing and painting is, is pretty direct. I've made it as indirect as possible, I think, recently. But um, <laughs> it made me feel like I was being productive. I mean, when I was in, like, sort of my in my high school years, there was a lot of, like, sort of craziness going on. I mean, we talk about um, all the problems going on with uh, opioid addiction and stuff like that now. But in that time, in the mid-'90s in Baltimore, that was a real serious thing somehow i was able to kind of avoid getting caught up in that even though i had um people close to me getting caught up in that i have a hard time talking about this you know i had two friends that ended up 
passing away. And then that kind of motivated me to do something like go to school for something I like to do and, you know, turn the stuff I was doing around, you know, and I think that I don't know if I was would have been if I was bad at math or if I just didn't pay attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and at a certain point, I started to pay attention and and I, I, I didn't want to fuck it up, really. Sure. I think that was about my like junior year of high school. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And I had support from my father. He's like, okay, he's, he's not going to go to college for anything else. So, um, maybe this will, sure, (laughs) maybe this will be it. So as I got a lacrosse scholarship and I got, um, you know, got into a art school, uh, in Connecticut at the university of Hartford and they have a, like a separate art school called the Hartford art school. Awesome. Yeah. But what was that experience like to start out? You know, I know that that's a, probably a pretty typical question, but it's so different for everybody. Were you kind of drawn into uh, that kind of representational working kind of right away? Yeah, I was. And I don't know. I think initially I I felt like I had uh, like maybe just my cursory at that point knowledge of art history that I felt like, well, Picasso, he started drawing from life and he graduated to something else. Right. And and the things surrounding me you know, now I think of, the things surrounding me seem so sort of vibrant and real, like the sort of the, the the things that were happening in my life. And so I felt like, you know, I wanted to somehow do that in my my painting. I, well, I thought I was going to move on to something else, but I just kept on doing it, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, I just it it just seemed correct to me. I think I've when I went to college, I had some really good professors, but it was like a pretty dysfunctional painting department partially because uh there was there was still sort of fighting the 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 war between abstraction and representation Mm -hmm. um so there was a a third generation abex painter well two third generation abex painters one was um susan wilmarth rabinall who was christopher wilmarth's uh the the noted minimalist his wife and she was a painter and then um a follower of Clement Greenberg, uh, the other professor. And then on the other side, there was Stephen Brown, who was a representational painter who's since passed, but he studied under Leonard Anderson at Brooklyn College. Mm-hmm. So he had the whole sort of alternative 1960s Fairfield Porter, Philip Perlstein, right. you know, would go to the, like, the Figurative Art League meetings in Brooklyn in the late 60s and 70s. And they just, they kind of kept on, you know, they just jousted, you know, uh, you know, during my time when I was in undergrad and you kind of had to pick a side. And I just, I remember Stephen Brown saying, well, so you're on a, in our camp, <laughs> and I, <laughs> which is like ridiculous. Cause at that time in the nineties, like nobody cared about really painting in general, right. let alone. So like, and you're how old <laughs> I know. And, they were, and this is, they were fighting a battle that was that ended in like the, you know, in the seventies really, but I had no idea. So I, I was kind of my undergraduate, you know, experience was, I was sort of really wrapped up in like 19th century type of painting. Mm-hmm. We had two full year visiting artists. They were called the Koopman chair and painting. And one was, um, Bill Jensen, who's the abstract painter. And then, uh, Greg Gillespie, Who's the you know super realist you know painter? That was that was pretty amazing. Just because you know Bill Jensen hated my painting, but he he appreciated that I <laughs> I was totally into it. And then Gillespie <laughs> thought I just wasn't good enough because he was the most absurd, like obsessive painter that there was at the time. So 
I was <laughs> I didn't really know what to do. Yeah, I don't know. And then when I when I looked for graduate school, I, I wanted to I didn't want to go into a school that was just exactly like where I where I came from at Hartford. I didn't want to go into like a a realist school. So sure. I ended up going to Northwestern, had a realist painter, but had a lot of other people doing different things. So Sure. Well and again to think about that in terms of the subject matters in your paintings, again, you know, noticing a lot of portraits and still life kind of based things. Um Mm-hmm. Is that the kind of stuff that you have always kind of been most focused on or interested in? I would imagine there's plenty of experimental stuff that you burned um, and buried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but is that primarily like a lot of the things that you've been interested in over the years? I think it's evolved over time. But um, I think when I was an undergrad, I was definitely caught up in the romantic artist thing mm-hmm. um, where I was just sort of like, it was like what Jim Valerio would say, like, like blood and guts painting. And I didn't really have any issues with it being so overtly romantic and so much about, you know, myself and in some ways identity politics and whatever else. But then uh when I got to graduate school, I, I tried to lose that, um, or I got pushed into losing it, and I became more self-conscious. I guess it's always it's been similar things, um, you know, both still life and portraiture and that type of stuff. But I think the way that I've dealt with it has changed. If anybody checks out degracy.com, you know, there's plenty of work that you can check out. But again, it seems interesting to think about that transition because there's almost like um you know, like that romanticism, like you said, or like almost like a sentimentality to the paintings mm-hmm. that slowly kind of shift. And that's kind of what I was hinting at earlier, almost to having this perspective of like, oh, this is something that is unexpected, you know, in terms of like you finding it and choosing to paint it. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think there's, there was definitely, um, I remember, you know, having critiques in grad school. The visiting artist said sentimental, then that was a bad thing, of course, right? Mm-hmm. If they said, it, you know, there's a sort of preciousness to it, they were kind of seeing it as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. I think that I can't get around that, but I think that I there was ways where I tried to kind of cool it down a little bit, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, where it's it doesn't immediately go to that uh, that romantic place and it becomes. I mean, I think a lot of my painting is about sort of like finding that line where it can kind of teeter either way and um, that tension is what I hope makes it interesting. What's, what's what makes it interesting to me. And then of course, like hopefully it will make it interesting for other people to look at. Well, and so like in graduate school, then did you find you kind of adapted a, enough to kind of feel like you were more connected then to what you're like choosing to paint? When I showed up in grad school, I, I had a lot of like preconceived ideas that were wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was like pretty confident in what I was doing. And then, you know, like, a good graduate program should do, um, I kind of got broken down. I think with that, I I think I started to kind of, well, it opened my eyes to other types of painting that I kind of was dismissive of before. And I started to really, really admire. And then I started to kind of break down what I was, what I was doing. I I, I tried to take it like kind of in in a more a logical way, which was a, which in in a logical process, but this idea of like, trying to kind of take out of all the sort of extra stuff from the paintings, have these individual objects, paint them in such a way where, um, like I took out, I stopped glazing mm-hmm. and I would just paint them like directly over and over and over again without, um, like on the same painting. So I'll do like 10 layers on one painting and I would use no medium. And I would try to like, just like nail this image down where it's like, it just looks like this thing sitting on a table. 
but of course you wonder why the heck somebody would pick this thing mm-hmm. <laughs> to paint in this way. And then that sort of, uh, that sort of process of like it just being the thing with all our preconceptions versus it sort of working in a metonymic way or a metaphorical way. Mm-hmm. Before I think my, my, my older paintings were, they were trying to just work sort of as vessels for meaning. And I was just trying to get there as fast as possible, as opposed to, having them be themselves. I mean, it's, that was especially true with like my portraits. I was, I, I got really turned off in doing, doing portraits where I was trying to like create a character mm-hmm. as opposed to just paint the person. Sure. Sure. And I did my best to just start painting people as they were. Of course it's impossible, right? Um, you know, as <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I mean, it's going through me and I'm putting it on a board, but, uh, <clears throat> I tried. Right. Um, it's, it's part of the deal. But, you know, you talked about being influenced by some other, you know, painters and, and people that you hadn't maybe seen before. Is there anybody in particular that you might be able to kind of like highlight? Because one of the things that I think is really kind of interesting is that as you kind of continue forward with your, uh, you know, the, your paintings, there's a number of them that become less and less about the subject and more and more about atmosphere or, you know, they almost kind of look like abstractions themselves. So I'm just kind of curious if there's any painter heroes that are like, oh, you know, like we wouldn't think of. Well, in graduate school, like there was two representational painters, and well, me and a, another guy named Mike Ellis. And then there was the, the rest of the students were all either, you know, video artists or um, abstract painters. At that point, Northwestern was still um pretty um, painting centric, like Ed Paschke taught there. And as I said, Jim Valerio, and then uh, um, Lane Relier just started, who's uh, like a, a really amazing writer on painting. And so I got really into like 60s, like, you know, Morris Lewis and um, Stella and, Kenneth Noland and that so the colder abstract painting, you know, mm-hmm. like the reaction to Abex painting. Mm-hmm. Of course, um I then I got into, you know, almost in reverse order into like de Kooning and I got really into like Diebenkorn's Ocean Park series. And I was making these paintings that were so specific I felt like I, I needed to kind of make paintings that were the opposite of that. The, the issue with some of my still life paintings is that you have this like singular object, but you're like missing what's going on outside of the frame. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you're almost too close. So I started to make paintings where you almost seemed like you were too far away. Right. So they were sort of like, you were like glimpses of what you were, what you possibly possibly could be looking at. I also think that it, for me, just in my like daily studio practice, the sort of back and forth between working on something that's like, hyper specific and something that's more field based mm-hmm. kind of kept my head on straight in a certain way. <laughs> I mean, I love via Selman's, I guess would be like the person who kind of walked that, that line, you know, in a really great way. And she talks a lot about that and like uh, her interviews and writing about her work being both sort of, and I don't, I'm not that interested in the, the connection between representation and abstraction, but mm-hmm. um, you know, that's just part of it, of course. Right. You can't get around that. Well, and again, it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, you think about relative when you see somebody's work, you know, what, what's uh, pulling them in a direction or influencing it, you know, like, again, it's weird for me because I grew up feeling like a total abstract painter and I feel like I've reluctantly taken on this idea that I'm a representational painter, but that's mostly just because I feel like I'm not good at it or so, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's it's weird how you start to identify with a certain style or, you know, period or so I guess in thinking about that relative to, 
you know, your work and especially what came after that in terms of like graduation and, you know, moving away from like a grad experience. What, what was that like? It sounds like you've been, you know, where you're at for quite a while. I mean, is that where you immediately got a job? Yeah. Um, strangely enough, um, when I was in my second year, I did the whole CAA thing and applied to a bunch of jobs and ended up getting a job. And so before I graduated, before my thesis show, I, you know, I, I decided that, you know, I was going to take the job here in Nebraska and a lot of the other, well, every other student that I was with didn't want to leave the city or they would want to move to New York. And so I made the decision because I've always wanted to teach. And so um, made the decision to move here. Mm-hmm. You know, the initial move was probably really good for my painting just because it was all new. And also, I, you know, I was here, didn't know anybody in the town. So like I would teach and after teaching, I would have, I had a studio at school and I would paint all night and then just sort of repeat. So I think there's other personal things going on in my life that I think that eventually sort of played itself out in the sense of me sort of changing subject matter and stuff. But because I moved simply from grad school to teaching, there wasn't a huge, it just kind of, it flowed pretty easily one into the other. I'm one one of those people who like hasn't left school for 20 years. So, right. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas, you know, before graduate school, I was out of school for four years or three years and I was, you know, cleaning apartments and stuff. And that was, uh, you know, graduate school is a dream. Right. Right. I'm still living it. So, <laughs> well, and, and sort of think about how that kind of shows up in your work. You know, you said something about essentially, you know, including more in the frame. There's a couple of paintings from the 2006 and seven. Um, there's a essentially one called Boombox and another one called mm-hmm. Light. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I'm thinking about in terms of tying this back into maybe some of the other, you know, still life paintings, again, kind of including more of like a scene or something to kind of maybe you know, reflect on for a viewer, it seems like it kind of gives it a little bit more context. And it might, again, just be all of your crap, you know, in the studio or something like that. Is there anything in particular that kind of like draws you in maybe around this time or, you know, like that you start seeing in terms of like the potential for a painting that might be different than what came before? The the boombox painting, I really like the idea that you had like all this, you know, this art, these cassette tapes and you had, you know, this thing that makes noise, but it's, you know, obviously you painting is very silent, right? And I love that had you had this, there's like this information, right? So people would look at the painting and they would judge the painting by <laughs> what tapes were on the, the mm-hmm. on the table. So I had this, this funny student who would just like, he went through, he's like, the birds, who the hell are the birds? <laughs> <laughs> and just would make fun of me because of that. And I really kind of, I, I, I love that, you know, and the, 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 the light painting, I mean, again, it's, it's very much about like, okay, well the light is shining on the, I, I try to think about it in terms of like portraiture and how, you know, a great portrait makes you reflect on yourself. And then you kind of jump back into, you know, you think about yourself, but you jump into the, the, the subject shoes and imagine where they're, like the place in the world that they are. And then you jump back into your own shoes and then you can examine the surface and then you can kind of, again, it's like that back and forth. This like doesn't quite have that as much. It's like, it's like a mirror. It's like what I wanted to do is kind of like paint a mirror where it's like all sort of, you're like looking, but at the same time, you know, you you know, like it's, it's resistant in Mm -hmm. the sense where it's sort of pushing back and you're sort of, uh, 
you know, thinking about yourself standing in front of the painting. And I guess that maybe that goes back to some of like the Stella paintings or the Morris Lewis painting or something like that, where you always are like sort of figured in space, I guess, mm -hmm. um, in a bodily way, like Morris Lewis, you, you sense like the, the cascade of paint going from the top to the bottom and you, it positions you in a, like the, in a correct place without like obvious perspective, you know, devices and stuff. I, I, I really was into sort of playing with those sort of spatial things and what they could do at that point. Well, and I was going to say another one that maybe would be fun to highlight, um, you know, relative to the portraits that came before it is this uh, triple portrait mm -hmm. where again, it also kind of looks a little bit more casual in terms of, you know, the setup for this. Is this based off of a photograph or are these like friends that you're having sit or is it like, you know, New Year's Eve party? I don't know. <laughs> it's based on a photograph. I used to use, um, I don't know anymore, but I used to use a four by five camera and I would take transparencies mm -hmm. and then I would put the transparencies on a light box and like paint through a loop. Um, so I could like zoom in on like, you know, the perspiration on somebody's skin or something like that. Mm -hmm. Doing that is more difficult now in the sense of getting the film processed and such. But the painting was based on actually a Greg Gillespie painting that is like a minor Gregory Gillespie painting. And I just I saw it in a catalog. I'm like, I loved the, I think he did it from a snapshot. I made it a little bit more formal, but it, the painting is of myself and of my partner at the time. That's me pre, pre beard. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> so I, I did like that idea of like, you know, being real obvious about like the way that paintings work of like, me looking at uh, Rose, who is the girl, and then the girl looking out at the the picture, and then you know creating this sort of triangle that bends out, you know, into you know real space. There was a there's a great Fairfield Porter painting called the Tennis Match mm -hmm. that I always loved about you know there was it's a guy about to hit a tennis ball and they're playing doubles, so you're looking over the the net behind you know one set of doubles or one set of people. And then you sort of imagine where the ball is going to go, and that's how the composition works. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of lifting it off of that too. They seem like they become a lot more playful in some regards. Mm. So for like, for, so for example, like there's this other untitled one that looks like it's a dollop of shaving cream um, <laughs> that reminds me of like some hotel like bathroom countertop. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Again, I don't. I, I'm sure none of those intentions are kind of there in terms of you know, eliciting like a very specific response, but it seems like it's playful enough then that part of the intention is for the viewer to kind of, you know, maybe fill that out a little bit for themselves. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, that, that's an excellent guess actually. <laughs> um, that's exactly what it is. I would take, and I still do this. I mean, I would go explore my house essentially and do like absurd things and photograph them and draw them and, kind of like a safari, you know, and mm -hmm. especially when I was living alone, I, I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? I'm going to spend the evening like photographing things on my countertop <laughs> or whatever, you know, and trying to find medians and some of the, 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 I mean, I was living in this really horrible apartment and it, 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 it was really, you know, astroturf on the deck type of place. And, um, it was very institutional and I like, I tried to embrace it by, you know, uh, trying to find, you know, push something that they're making images of that apartment that could push against the institutional quality of it, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then that, that painting in, in particular, 
again, going back to the sort of like the, the bodily, I, I wanted to make, that's a larger painting for me. And so I wanted to make that, that what I affectionately call the gel slug mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of like be the same size as like the torso of a person and standing in front of it and having it feel like it's sort of like sliding forwards off the bottom of the, the picture into our, our space and then not really knowing what it is and having a hard time figuring it. And I think that's, can be one of the issues with represent or realist painting or representational painting is that it can be, um, you know, so figured both like narratively or in the way it's painted that there's like no room for the, the beholder or the viewer to participate. And I've always tried to leave some room in that way. Well, and again, it's interesting for you to note too, like the, the scale shift, obviously, because we haven't talked about that before. You know, when we go back to maybe the beginning of that timeline, paintings are much smaller. And then, mm-hmm. you know, at around this period of time, somewhere in there, maybe around the light painting or, you know, one of the ones that we talked about is when we start getting these larger amounts of space. Um, but it's interesting to think about that idea of leaving space for the viewer because, it, again, um, you know, there's a number of paintings, um, you know, that are kind of listed in this category. And again, slowly approaching in the you know, late uh, 2000s where they just essentially kind of look like these big atmospheric, you know, kind of places. So, I mean, again, there's like one of Lake Michigan that's, you know, almost unrecognizable. There are ones that are, you know, like of the night sky, an untitled one from the night sky. Is that really just like an offshoot then of just looking for these experiences to photograph and then kind of be able to work from? Is there a particular take on, you know, like, again, like say, for example, we were jumping a little bit ahead of time, but there's the second Lake Michigan painting that again, predominantly looks like almost all black at first. And then you kind of slowly, you know, maybe reveal like a, a, you know, horizon or. Well, I think over, you know, and I've definitely been dealing with this and maybe have like come to terms with this uh, in the last few years when making those paintings or making um, some of the more um, specific still life paintings, they all involve like a, a sort of a process, you know, like you're, you put paint out on a palette, you mix the colors and, and, and it's about sort of figuring out like what the process will be for that specific painting. Mm-hmm. And so source material became less and less important, you know? So whereas like earlier on when I started graduate school, I would want to have the best source material possible, like a four by five transparency. And now, I mean, I might not even have a source <laughs> mm-hmm. or um, I have like some drawings and then some junky iPhone photos and then I end up like sort of combining all those things because it wasn't like it was becoming a crutch. It was, I just realized that it didn't matter that much, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, cause I got to figure out how to do it and paint, you know, so those like Michigan paintings were just, you know, I didn't take photographs. I kind of just made them up. And that was the, the painting of the, what looks like the night sky, you know, was me sort of imagine, it it does look like the night sky, but it it was me imagining like what it, you know, with like water droplets on a window, Mm -hmm. you know, which ends up looking, so it's like, it ends up looking like a night sky. I wanted it to be water droplets on a window and who really cares anyway, right? It's one of those things. Um, There's a image also on the website of like this, it's almost impossible to see on the website, but it's like a, it looks like there's a black rectangle, but it's light coming from underneath the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something that I, I, I was listening to um, a news story regarding 
the uh, prisoner POW camps um, during the uh, first Iraq war, or second, no, no, second Iraq war, and uh, and also the war in Afghanistan, and you know the the you know these 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 uh, pr- these cells that were either like completely lit up with loud music, or these cells that didn't let any light in. Mm-hmm. And I was just imagining these spaces, and and that's where the painting ended up coming from. Well, it's interesting to think about how that changes, you know, in terms of like again, you, you kind of having these large scale transparencies, and then slowly you know, changing that process where you're kind of combining these different experiences or imagined experiences or, again, it's interesting to think about how that, you know, would also like loosen up the paintings quite a bit. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, that could be like, again, there's a, a Jack Kerouac's Big Sur, mm-hmm. um, which, again, I don't know if that's based off of an experience <laughs> while, you know, traveling. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's like other ones like, you know, from the last of that kind of group um, are these explosion paintings where, again, they become, I don't, like you said, I mean, like it doesn't really even matter like what the source is for somebody that would maybe look at this. Even if you were to start with this, you know, amazing image, like, you know, oh, this is a great photograph and it would end up being like the, the painting takes its path and you just, and I don't want to be cliche about it, but again, you have to sort of, you're following that other road and eventually, you know, that whatever initial initially sort of got your attention that gets thrown aside and you have to somehow sort of find a place where the painting works on its own. I sort of got over, I, I, I sort of got sick of trying to get over the initial, you know, photograph. <laughs> so I, I, I've started to like not have that sort of precious thing that would be there that I would want to try to get to. And I think with those, those, those helped me do that. I don't know if it actually helped me loosen up because I think some of the paintings that I've made aren't, you know, since then, you know, or I've completed since then have become, or, or just as like sort of labored, but, um, for good, for better or worse, but cause it's still like, I'm looking at the painting and there's like a, I'm trying to find a, some, somewhat, some, some sort of brightness to it to say, okay, this can be finished. Mm-hmm. And of course, you never know what that is until you see it, right? And um, that's the issue. I don't have like, and I I remember from you know talking to an artist, you know, she was making fun of painters in the sense of like, oh, well, painters will like come up with an idea over three days and then spend like six months mm-hmm. uh, trying to like figure it out, you know, as opposed to what she was doing, which was spend six months on something and then execute it in three days. And she thought that was a more sophisticated way of working. And maybe it is, but I really love that sort of unresolved quality of like going through a painting and trying to find um, resolution and, you know, not just through like, you know, what the image will look like, but also like what it means to me. I mean, it will always change and what it, what it, what what I want it to mean to the viewer as well. So I used to think that was kind of a cop out in the sense of like <laughs> my students say this all the time. Well, I, I don't want to interfere with you looking at it. So I'm not going to say anything about what I'm doing right now. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I no, I'm not trying to do that. But at the same time, I, I don't think it's I don't think my my process is uh, worth it. If it's like something I'm just going to execute like a, a one liner or a um, something I could do in a simpler way, I guess I, I think it. It, it sort of needs that sort of open quality. Well, and to kind of maybe jump to some of the more recent work again, when I say this, you know, keep in mind for people listening, I mean, this is 
maybe the most current kind of category on your, uh, you know, your work listing. So we're going back to 2012, which is not, <laughs> not very recent in some regards, but recent all the same. Um, recent for me in my opinion. I think. Oh, no, I mean, I think, well, that's what I was saying too earlier. We were talking about how, you know, as you get older, it's like time is like a different kind of thing, but there's this large ice cube painting, from 2012, which again, I would I would imagine, you know, this is the kind of thing that people salivate for. So if, have, if people haven't checked it out, I mean, it's just this super intense red field and this large ice cube. Maybe just to kind of have have a little bit of fun. Like, what's the process like in terms of then kind of being able to kind of work through, you know, a painting like this? I, I would imagine this might be something that was photographed, but then is it something that's going to take you months and months? And I'd imagine it might be different for every painting, but. I think this probably took me, you know, uh, like a month and a half, but it, it, the process on this one was a little bit more direct than some of the others. I don't think I like strayed that, af- that afar from what I wanted to kind of do. Cause I did a, I've, I've did a smaller ice cube painting two years before mm-hmm. and I wanted to kind of do a similar painting and then, um, you know, change the scale. And I also changed, the other one was very, very gray like a lot of my paintings and I wanted to, you know, try to use a really, you know, use really saturated color on this one on the, the, the red one. And so, you know, it, the, the thing with that painting really is I use like a red ground, um, this Holbein red gesso and I used five tubes of cadmium red, <laughs> like Jeez. smaller tubes, you know, so the painting's really expensive just because of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I I just kept on painting it over and over and over again. And that one I did glaze because I just wanted it to be so red. Mm-hmm. So I would paint the ice cube and then I would glaze the whole thing down with like a scarlet scarlet lake or something like that. And then and then repainted it and then did it again just so that red was really really deep. I like the sort of the tension between the, the sort of the color and the ice cube and. I don't know. Those things are still kind of a mystery to me. I mean, it, it it's sort of a perfect subject for a still life, you know, this idea of like this thing sort of like frozen there. Mm-hmm. Cause whenever I think of like, there's a, there's a great book on still life painting. I'm forgetting the author's name, of course, cause that's the way that goes. But he talks about still life painting as being like the thing that's always off to the side, like covered in a coat of dust, mm-hmm. you know, sort of frozen for posterity. And I was kind of thinking about that when I was making that painting. So. Well, and it's interesting because you obviously kind of keep, you take further the things that you were kind of working with before, you know, and again, some of them seem to get really playful. Some of them seem to get disconnected somewhat from like what they are. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to ask, um, this, uh, Holdus Bolus, is that, uh-huh. is that how I pronounce that? Mm-hmm. What, so what is that? Yeah, um, <laughs> well, cause again, as in my notes, I'm like, that's like a, a brain in a fish tank, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, it was originally, you know, again, going back to like finding things to paint that are just around me that somehow like just because of their proximity and how, how often I see them, they they start to haunt me in one way or another for mm-hmm. good or bad. And this uh, I was living with with Kate, who is now my wife and a rental home and we had sort of a lackluster landlord and he would just sort of, you know, do things in the, in the yard and just like leave them, you know? So this was a giant pile of dirt. 
Mm -hmm. that was just like right outside our front door (laughs) that was there for a year but the first kind of annoyed me and then i and i started you know like looking at it and it would be something where i would just like sit outside and stare at it and i i ended up making this painting which doesn't really look like a pile of dirt i was kind of thinking about it in terms of the um like the prudential uh the prudential logo and or the what is that uh there's the Paramount Movie Studios uh, logo mm-hmm. <laughs> with the mountain in the background. You know, sometimes I end up playing with this thing. I mean, it's a tiny painting, making something that seems like more, uh, you know, they might be small uh, in size, but larger in scale, I guess. Sure. And so when you see it, it becomes like sort of this bigger sort of monumental thing, even though it's on this little, I mean, this little block. I mean, when you see these paintings in person, they are like, they're on three by you know, three quarter inch plywood. So they really just, they kind of hang there like an object. Mm-hmm. So the initial thing is you see is like, it's like this object hanging on the wall. And then you sort of, when you, when you stand in front of it and you have to end up getting pretty close, it becomes the image. So there really is this sort of on off switch with these paintings mm-hmm. where you can really just walk by them. And, uh, with the, with these paintings, with this painting in, in particular, I hope when they see it, it becomes this sort of like bigger, larger thing. You know, it's interesting that you. What else do you think it is? <laughs> I don't know. Well, again, it's just it's interesting because some things are, you know. I think that that's the strength of having you know all these different works too in a show. I'm assuming that there's going to be some that are very straightforward, and then some that kind of are a little bit more elusive, but then they kind of help feed you know, the other ones and kind of bring a fuller sense of like where, where things are at. So like to kind of jump to another one, there's one, I was young when I left home, Mm -hmm. which kind of makes me think of like a reflected mirror in a desert, Mm -hmm. almost like there's part that's like a pass that you'd be looking into versus like a desert being like a, you know, like an open, you know, plane to kind of like wander through, you know, and to kind of explore. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me because even in terms of the composition in that one, again, I could totally be wrong. I'll let you let me know in a second, Mm -hmm. but I I love how closed in it is. And then, you know, like the, my, you know, you could see that being next to another one that might be, you know, one of these portraits or, you know, this, uh, you know, painting of a a piece of gum. Was I totally off on that one? No, I mean, that's, again, I don't want to, I mean, I think part of it is is that I'm, it doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) I guess. Right. I mean, I don't, I, I don't. I I don't want to be the person who says, oh no, it's really this. I mean, I, sure. it really doesn't matter. I mean, the you know the title is from a song, you know, so it really has nothing to do with the painting. Just like the Jack Kerouac's Big Sur, that's a book. Mm-hmm. And I, when I made the painting, I was thinking about um, him looking down on you know in Big Sur, California. You're like you're in some the fog will go so low that you're like looking down on the clouds. And um, he was going through like withdrawal from alcoholism and stuff like that. And I just thought it was a really sort of, yeah, the, all the stuff that he goes through in that book. I think it was uh, interesting for that painting. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I, the one thing I think I should say is, and I think it's kind of problematic for where I'm at right now, is that my paintings, I see them as being like the individual paintings as being like a project in and of themselves. And I really have a hard time thinking about a, you know, a group of paintings that all sort of function in a way as a group, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, um, and that's, it's difficult now because, you know, curators want, okay, you know, what are you going to do for your show? And I'm like, okay, well, I have these paintings that all do different things. 
um, how do they all sort of fit together, right? And they don't have this literal sort of didactic message, right? And I'm trying to kind of deal with that now because I have a show coming up in in October that the curator really wants me to somehow like come up with like a sort of larger theme and I'm resistant, but I'm, I'm working on it, I guess. Sure. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, allow the paintings be what they are, but like explore the sort of the secondary process of like, like what a photographer would do of like sort of editing and curating your own work and seeing how these things work with one another. So like how would William Eggleston like decide what two images go, you know, in the same two pages across the fold, right? They might have anything to do with one another, but there's something that those two will play off of one another, right? So um, I'm trying to figure that out, but it's been, um, it's, it's slow going for me. I feel like um, that sketch with uh, Chris Farley where he'd be like, mm-hmm. hey, you, you remember Alien? you know um, (laughs) that's kind of how i feel right now Um, but but it kind of relates to a painting that i was thinking about um which again kind of has like a very long timeline this uh chocolate milk painting from Mm -hmm. 2000 to 2017 you know when you kind of think about the context of trying to group these together and then talk about how each painting is kind of like an individual thing Mm -hmm. you know i can't help but think of a painting like this in that you know first of all it's like like just such a aesthetically wonderful kind of painting that just is like makes you want to drink something um Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know or again people talk silly like about paintings you know like uh being like candy or something like that but Mm -hmm. it's just so drawing drawn into that but i'm curious especially like how that process has kind of changed because i would imagine like again a painting that that's that old might have you know gone through various lives you know in in certain ways but i don't know yeah it definitely did i mean i you know, you know, I started that when I was in just finishing undergrad and I completed it you know, relatively recently. And um, it was one that, you know, I had initial ideas about why I was going to paint that. And and then that sort of they they morphed over time and then I stuck it in my flat file and then a friend brought it up to me because he remembered it when I was an undergrad and I found it and took it back out and scraped it off with a razor blade and painted it and then put it back in the flat file mm-hmm. <laughs> and took it back out and then, you know, scraped it off again and repainted it and glazed it. And yeah, there's a lot of things that went on to eventually say that, that, that painting was finished. And I, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't, I, I remember when I, you know, t- talking to a, a, a friend and he's, you know, he was a sculptor, conceptual artist, and he now works as a gallerist. But, you know, he would just make fun of um, painting, certain types of paintings being eye candy. And um, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't want it to be like simply eye candy. I mean, we all know those paintings, which are sort of simply eye candy. Sometimes right. that's for a reason, an ironic way or something like that. I think that could be part of it. I don't want it to be the thing, but... Um, it's definitely part of it. And I, hopefully it's like so wrapped up with everything else that's part of the painting that, uh, that, you know, makes it sort of, it doesn't matter. So, well, again, I just think about, you know, in that challenge of you trying to find a way that they all influence each other or have a theme. I mean, I would, I just think like, Oh, that's the kind of like variation that you're going to have in an exhibition that makes it really interesting. Cause you might walk past a, 
you know, a napkin or, you know, something that's really banal or, mm-hmm. um, you know, something that's kind of really void of having like that very specific hyper aesthetic or something that you don't even recognize right away. I could probably like Chris Farley ask you about every single painting, but I, I did want to ask just a little bit too, like, it seems like then there's, um, a couple of landscapes or a number of landscapes that you've kind of done more recently as well, mm-hmm. maybe from that, you know, that area that you live out in now, is that the case? There's three landscapes that are from Okanagan County that are North central Washington state. Okay. I wanted to see if I can kind of like, I was painting on location. So one, um, so like out on like out near my brother's place, mm-hmm. I wanted to see if how, how a, like my type of painting would work when I'm sort of stuck in the elements. So yeah. Yeah. So another way to get a new look, a new experience and see how you can kind of keep ju- not jumbling. I was going to say jumbling is such a bad word, but kind of, you know, mixing all those different processes together. Cause it sounds like at this point you're kind of, you know, wandering around the world and just, you know, gravitating towards something and then working through it. It's almost, instead of like a, like a narrative arc, it would be more like a serial, mm-hmm. like one thing after another or mm-hmm. like different channels, I guess, you know, and and how they would all, they're all different channels, but part of this larger thing, hopefully. And I've, what I've found over the years is like, I'll make a painting that would make a lot of sense with a painting I made like five years prior, right? Mm -hmm. So I could go back through, I could like reorganize my website, for instance, and say, okay, here's a group of paintings that make sense together. Here's a group of paintings that make sense together. That wasn't something that I had initially intended, but you know, I think that's just the way it sort of happens, right? And I, we'll see where those landscapes end up, like what they end up being, you know, and where they end up fitted in. I'm not quite sure yet. Well, and I would imagine too, like you were just describing, you've got this show coming up in October. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of things for you to kind of work through. Is that, I mean, again, you kind of alluded to it, but I mean, are you then going to uh, move from one painting to the next for a little bit before you, <laughs> I don't know, how how do you decide that? You know, like, and it sounds like you're in that process right now. So maybe you're not quite sure yet. Well, with this painting, I think partially due with like things that are happening outside of art with me, um, I've been examining uh, in, in a good, good way, I think, some of the, the things uh, that happened during my, my high school years and like early college years and you know, growing up in, a, in, in the neighborhood I grew up in and sort of using that as the sort of frame. So like... I know it seems really broad, but uh, the the title of the show is going to be called uh, Suburb Park, mm-hmm. and that's the neighborhood I grew up in. And I'm going to try to kind of fit these things that, like, by just looking at them, they wouldn't quite fit. But you know, try to fit them all into the sort of the overwhelming sort of experience of being sort of a uh, a kid. I mean, I think that I you know this is the first time in quite some time where I've allowed myself to kind of look back and and really look back in a way and try to understand what like why things meant so much or why feelings were so strong for me at that age um, with things you know maybe it's because of the politics of the moment um, maybe it's because of you know looking to my students and and hoping that you know they're able to kind of figure things out for us because we're not figuring out for ourselves, but I'm not sure. So like for the show, I, I, I actually have, you know, I have the sort of the wood paintings are going to be in the show mapped out. I think they'll kind of fit together, but of course, in a relatively loose, it's not, it will never be really literal. It'll be kind of in a metonymic way where 
there, you can see like they're somehow related, but the sort of the connection really will be made through the viewers sort of experience walking through the space and what they come up with. I'm wondering how, if I need any like sort of peripheral things to kind of, I've been thinking about doing some, like if you can believe it, some like a sound piece Mm -hmm. or doing some animations that may sort of fill in the gaps a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've been recently learning how to do more digital drawing and I've been doing (laughs) uh, some, some drawings on my iPad. Of course, it's funny because like I was hoping it was going to be, <laughs> I ended up, I was hoping it was going to be much quicker, but it's, uh, I end up, I've been working on this, 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 I don't even know what you call it. It's a drawing slash painting on, on my iPad. And it's, uh, it's taken me like three weeks to work through cause I'm doing <laughs> it like as the same process I would do with a painting, mm-hmm. um, where I would just kind of do layer after layer, you know, and, and it's all a little bit, I mean, with the, the, the software I'm using, it would glaze it with watercolor to go back to the oil paint feature mm-hmm. and go opaquely back over it. But it's enabled me to kind of do bigger, more complicated things and kind of get them out there quicker. And I'm hoping that might actually be part of it. I don't know how I would actually, like, if I'm going to print them or if I will have them on monitors or something like that. We'll see. But Well, that's, again, super exciting, you know. And again, I guess... Uh, it being a sabbatical for you, you've got plenty of time to to work through this. Hopefully, mm-hmm. yeah, wake up. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I feel I, it's funny to say it like that because I feel like you know all artists I think are always wanting more time. You know, when it comes mm-hmm. especially time for a show, you're like, oh, I'm like really in a hot streak. I need another three weeks because I want to be able to fit this last thing in because it's so good. So, mm-hmm. so before we kind of uh, move on from here again, just remind everybody where they can find your work and, and follow you of course on uh, Instagram and all that good stuff. Yeah. I, my Instagram is David Reed Gracie. Facebook is, I think it's just David Gracie. And um, my website is dgracie.com or David Reed It brings you to the same spot. So it's like a twofer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have a friend that knows all this stuff and was able to get both addresses for me. So Awesome. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I could keep talking to you and asking you uh, question after question, but I really appreciate you uh, letting me into your, your studio and process a bit. So thanks. Yeah, thanks so much, and thanks for doing what you're doing. It's pretty amazing, um, all the interviews you have. And, uh, yeah, keep it up. Pretty cool. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks once again to David for joining me. Be sure and visit dgracie.com. Tons of paintings up there for you to check out. Be sure to follow him on Instagram so you can stay up to date with what's going on. Again, as he prepares for this new show, it should be very interesting to see the work. If I did trap a new listener, I do want to encourage you to go to studiobreak.com, go through some of the archives, check out some of the episodes that you missed. Again, we've had a lot of fantastic artists on there. Each of those interviews have their work as well as links to their websites. If you do like this podcast, be sure and subscribe to it. You can hit that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe. Again, if you really do enjoy it, please be kind and leave us some comments and some feedback there. You can also earn some karma points by just helping to spread the word. Again, there's a lot of artists that want some kind of studio companion. It's great to have a conversation going in the background, maybe get a different take on how people make 
So be sure and share it. You can do that in all of our social media pages. So be sure and like our Facebook page. You can, of course, follow Studio Break on Twitter at Studio Break. And, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And a great place to have some conversation. So be sure and say hello. We recently have been doing these uh, intro pre-interview videos that are streaming on instagram so be sure to check those out it's always great to hear from listeners questions and all sorts of good stuff so please keep them coming as always i'd like to thank skylar mail who provides the music to studio break he's an artist and you can check out his work at skylarmail.net if you'd like to see some of my paintings please visit davidlinaway.com you can of course follow me or Friend me on Facebook and find me on Instagram at David Linaway and Twitter. So please be sure and say hello there again. Always great to hear from listeners that enjoy these episodes and enjoy listening to artists talk about their work and their craft and make it just for that purpose so that you can listen to something while you are working away in the studio. Again, I hope you're off to a very productive year. As I alluded to earlier, I am doing very well. I have a ridiculous amount of new work that I want to make, so I'm very excited to hit all of that off and go for it. I hope that you're doing well this new year, and we'll talk to you real soon.